So I want you to take your Bible and go to Judges chapter 2. This morning we're going to talk about how God changes everything and specifically the status quo of our lives. Now, there's a theologian. If I call him great, Ron's going to chuckle. Um, but there's a the- theologian who translates status quo as Latin, meaning the mess we's in. Um, and he's probably going to listen to this later and go, oh, wait a minute, he's talking about me. So there you go, Brad. I had to give him that shout out. In Judges chapter 2, there is a problem. Israel has slowly moved away from God, and we are going to look at verses, and I, I think we'll just we'll start, David, if you go to the next slide, I think we'll start at verse 6. We're going to read about the death of Joshua and the, and the aftermath that followed. It says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. They buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Herez in the hill country of Ephraim north of the mountains of Gaish. Verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work He had done for Israel. And all the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers and they Brought them out of the land of, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord's anger. This morning we're going to talk about the, the danger of, of forgetting the past and seeing what God is doing in the present. But before we get into His word, we, we want to pause to ask Him to, first of all, guide us through the word, then remember those who are in harm's way protecting us. Uh, as we are here today. And we also do need to remember those who are on the road traveling. Uh, Pastor Brad is down in the Houston area and is traveling back, and there's a large storm headed his way. And so we need to pray for traveling mercies for them as well. Uh, Ron, if you would, would you? Life makes sense. And that is why we need God. Israel had served God. If you, if you really think about all that God had done in the history of that nation, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And you have Jacob who wrestles with God and is given the name Israel. He has 12 sons. And those sons end up betraying one of their own who gets sold into slavery in Egypt. And through God's provision, he spares Israel from the famine that hits Canaan. Brings them all to Egypt with Joseph who has gone from the prison cell to the second highest position in the nation of Egypt, in the empire. Only takes orders from Pharaoh. That's where Joseph was. Saves that entire nation. Now the nation again moves from a position of growth to a position of slavery. It didn't make sense. God had spared them to become slaves. But God uses that and uses a guy who tried to make every excuse to God why he shouldn't be the one named Moses 
and takes Moses, who's a murderer, let's make no doubt about it, who thinks he's doing the right thing, but kills somebody, takes this guy Moses, turns him into this great leader that they held into esteem even to the time of Jesus Christ. Because remember, there's two people who they all talked about. They're, they're two greatest action figures, so to speak. Moses and who? Elijah. So here's Moses and through God's power working, leads them out of Egypt, takes them to the mountain. They actually see the presence of God on a daily basis, a pillar of fire at night, a cloud of smoke, pillar of smoke by day. Yet they still grumble and complain. So you notice this, this cycle. God still spares them and takes them to the promised land. And this is where they've been. They've been there with Joshua and they've had success. In fact, their success is, is one of my favorite moments in the Old Testament. It's Jericho. I mean, that is, that is awesome. I, we've probably heard it too much. Here, let's, let's just do an estimate. How many of you think, well, I've probably heard the story of the walls of Jericho falling at least ten times. Anybody? How many of you have watched the, a video of some sort with grandkids or kids at least ten times? Okay, Veggie Tales, whatever you want, whatever it is. Yeah, we, we, over. How many of you would say maybe twenty times? How many of you does it feel like probably fifty to a hundred? Okay. Okay. Sometimes when we, we hear things, we, I think we just know it and we just kind of become numb to it. The generation of Joshua was the generation who had marched around Jericho once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day. They yelled really loud. Some people played some trumpets and the walls fell. There, there were no catapults. There were no battering rams. They didn't get on elephants or anything to try to charge right through those walls. There definitely wasn't any dynamite. All it was was God's power in the people's faith. This was that same generation. The same generation who, after Jericho, would suffer defeat at a little small, and I'll use the word podunk town called Ai. It was so podunk it only had two letters in its name. So little thought of that Joshua said, don't even send the whole army. Because of Achan's sin, they were defeated. High to low. High to low. But they had seen what God could do. They could see, they could see what God to do, which really makes us wonder that why at the beginning of Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, why is there a generation who does not know God and does not know what He has done? I want to do a little, we're not going to call it a social experiment, but, but I, I, want to do something. If you are age, and I'm not going to ask anybody their specific age, okay? but if you're age 41 or above, if you can, just for a quick moment, I want you just to stand up. Just for a quick moment. Now I want you to look around and kind of grasp the number. There's some of you that are over 40 that I didn't realize. Sit down, Jack. You're 13 years old. We're going to call you Joshua's generation. This is why I want you to have a picture in your mind. Now y'all sit down. If you are 40 or younger, stand up. You're holding up the baby. I get, yeah, yeah, I saw it, Phyllis. I saw it. I caught it. I caught it. 
we're going to call this the post-Joshua generation. Now, I, I want to ask this of, of the ones that are here. How many of you have grown up in this church? Okay. At some point. Now, youth group, lift up your hands. Okay, y'all can sit down. Other than Russell and Krista, I have been y'all's youth pastor. Of the ones who've grown up in church. When I read Judges chapter 2 and I get to verse 10, it is scary for me. It is scary because there's, there's, there's a twofold responsibility within that verse. Number one, they did not know the Lord, which is acknowledging who God is. That is their duty. But they also have not really been told what God has done, which is the responsibility of all of God's people to instill. That is a very, very, very haunting thing. Now, now God has never, God has never made it the full responsibility, and I'm not trying to pass the buck as a youth pastor, so follow me where I come through on this. God has never fully left it up to the church alone to disciple and to bring up children in the faith. Now, I'm, I, I will not use the phrase, it takes a village. Because it takes a full body. It takes a body, a group of believers, to bring somebody up in their faith. My, my dad was not the one who led me to Christ. And I've shared this before. It was a lady by the name of Karen Ferguson, who I only found out two years ago was not the giant in the faith that I thought she was when she led me to Christ. She had been a believer for two years. And I was talking to her. We were, we had taken her to the youth group in Arkansas to, uh, her son's church because he and I were, had grown up in church together in Houston and she was our Sunday school teacher. And, um, I just, just took a moment to talk to her about that day because I talked to her. I, I I remember that day. I mean, I remember it. You don't remember every day from your childhood viv- vividly, but I remember 31 years ago. I remember that day, that Sunday morning, when she took me out of Sunday school for a reason that was not disciplinary, and she decided that she would extend the invitation to receive Christ. She'd actually done it in class, and I'd lifted up a hand, and she told everybody to be quiet and be calm, and took me out of the hallway. And I asked her, I said, who, who trained you to do that? Who, where did you learn that? And Karen, without missing a beat, she goes, nobody did. I just thought it was what I was supposed to do, so I just did it. I knew it was important. She goes, in fact, you were one of the very first ones who ever responded. And I'm just sitting there like, mind blown. Because here I thought she was this giant, just this strong, Godly woman, and she is. She goes, I was, she goes, I was a baby in Christ at that moment. And it's those moments in, in my life that make me realize that people like Karen Ferguson, Keenan Polk, who taught my junior high Sunday school class, Tim Morgan, who was my first youth pastor, Toby, who followed him, that, that, that these people built into me what it meant to be a believer just at the same time as my parents did. And so I want us to, to take a look as we look at this situation in Judges and, and realize how they got there. Now, how did 
Go ahead, David. Go ahead and go flip the two slides forward. How did they get there? Does anybody remember what God told His nation, the children of Israel, to do when they got to Canaan? Was it to build homes? Hey, when you get there, build some houses? No, it was to remove what? The inhabitants of the land. Yet, you look in Joshua chapter 1, I mean Judges chapter 1, and you find this, David, if you would. They compromised. They were told to do one thing by God, but they didn't completely do it. They started. And you read Joshua is about the conquest of Canaan. That's what that book is about. But we read in Judges that they didn't follow through all the way in what they were given. Quickly. Verse 27, Judges 1, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites into forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. They said, well, we've been slaves. Let's make slaves of these guys. And the next one, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the Canaanites. So the Canaanites lived among them and became subject to forced labor. Again, they're, they're slaves, but they're still there, which is not what God wanted. Because he knew we're about to see God's wisdom. We're going to drive, draw back in just a moment to see God's wisdom. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants. And skip a few words. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nephtali did not drive out the inhabitants. Are we seeing a pattern here? They lived among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land. The Verse 34, the Amorites pressed the people. First of all, we've been seeing the Canaanites have been turned into slaves. But when you get to the the tribe of Dan, it becomes a little different. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country. For they did not allow them to come down to the plain. So in that situation, the, the tribe of Dan didn't even go into their inheritance fully. We don't know why. It's to me, and I, it, Doug is the Old Testament scholar in the room, really. But to me, it, it looks like a lack of faith. God had said, go out against them and I will. Oh. Still. Is that the mic? Is that doing that? If I move back right here and stand still behind the pulpit, I'll be fine. Okay. They did not allow them to come down to the plain. And it's verse 35 said, The Amorites persisted in dwelling, but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. There's a pattern. They had, they had a chance. And really in this listing, we don't see anybody who totally pushes them all the way out. Is it any wonder why Israel now goes into a pattern of sin? Because the first step into this pattern of decline away from God is compromise. Is when you know God's Word and you don't live it out. It's The living it out is not what saves us. It is our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who we sang about this morning, that saves us. Let's make no mistake about that. But God understands that obedience is in our best interest. Obedience isn't always easy, but it is what's best. It's like when a parent tells a a child not to touch something hot on a stove. Or a parent tells a child not to crawl on top of playground equipment and jump from the top of one piece of playground equipment to the other, which my son missed and broke his arm. 
we have it in their best interest to tell them, don't. Not because we're trying to rule over them and lord over them and press them down. It's because we don't want them to get hurt. God knew what leaving the inhabitants of the land of Canaan would do. He knew what leaving all those people there would do. It would draw the, His people away from Him. And it would cause problems. They would start worshiping false gods who weren't there, who could do nothing for them. Gods who did not care because they did not even really exist. That's where they were left. In fact, they, they did not keep their end of the covenant. Now their covenant is, is written in so many places, David, if you would. It's, it's in so many different places in the Bible. We could look at all these. But I want to look at two specifically. In Exodus, God says, You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest you, they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. God told them up front what would happen. In Numbers, the same thing is repeated. It said, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then those of them who you let remain shall be barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. My grandfather had a farm. And he had barbed wire on this farm. And we went to visit. My mom lives on the property now. And it wasn't too long ago. It's right before we, we moved back. We went to visit my mom and we kind of walked down to this little creek area that she has where my cousin and I used to play. And to get there though, you have to go through a barbed wire fence. Cause the land is technically my uncle's and he wanted to make sure that his land was all cordoned off to where it needs to be. And the, there's no gate right there on that side. Ethan was like, Dad, why are you holding it up? And I'm like, because I know this will stick you. Guess what happened when I went through the fence? Number one, nobody held up the barbed wire for me. Number two, I, I cut my shirt. Hurts. Sometimes when we would go to visit, we'd go a lot of Sunday afternoons because they lived about an hour away from us where, in Fort Smith where I grew up. So when we would go to visit my grandfather, we would just play out in the barnyard and out in the field and all sorts of things. And every once in a while, you'd come across some, somewhere where there were thorns. Now, thorns are easy, sort of easy to avoid when you see them growing up. A stick with thorns on it is not very easy to see in tall grass. Does anybody ever have a thorn go all the way through your shoe, up into your foot? And you, and you wonder, huh, it's not supposed to feel that way. And you, you pull it out and you realize now you have a hole in the bottom of your tennis shoe and you're like, well, the tip of that thorn is a little red. Huh, I wonder what that is. And then you realize, oh, that's inside my sock too. Yeah. Thorns. And that's what I think of when I think of thorns. I think of, of getting stuck at my grandfather's farm. Pain. Agony. Just, ow, hi. Because it never happens. Nobody sticks themselves with a thorn on purpose and goes, hey, I'm going to do this today. This seems like fun. No. But that's what Israel did. They said, we're going to stick ourselves with a thorn. Now, did God say kill them? Now, there are moments when they go to war. But God said drive them out. You notice how God even spared these people? The hope that they, because there was a plan for people to come to Him, no matter their heritage. 
There's so many people say, well, God, God's a God that He just wanted Israel just to wipe out all the inhabitants. No, He didn't. Drive them out. Push them out. This is your inheritance. Get them to leave. I, that's just a side note, but that's, that's who our God is. He's sparing them while He's sparing His people. If you wonder if God has, is full of grace, God is full of grace. Even people who don't believe in Him, He is doing His best to spare their lives. That is something. That is a good, good God. So they didn't keep their end of the covenant. Not only, this microphone's driving me nuts. Not only did they not keep their end of the covenant, but they became complacent. David, if you would. They began to look around and say, this isn't so bad with these people here. Maybe God is too strict. That's essentially what they're saying. I, I, they became satisfied with where they were. They became happy about their situation. So happy, in fact, that they began to turn to other gods. That's how far the complacency went. There's a little bit of debate what fully led to this moment. I, I talked with a, a few of my friends about this. And it's having a conversation, I'm not afraid to admit, Doug is a friend of mine, but Doug and I kind of had this moment where we were talking about this the other day. Doug, if you remember, it's on a Wednesday night or a Sunday after church. The people stopped looking to God for what He had done. And they were looking to themselves for what they were going to do. Instead of it being about what God is going to do and help them drive the people out that were there, children of, children of Israel began to do things their own way and they were satisfied with it. They were happy with it. They began to believe that their way was a better way. And they would suffer the consequences of it. It says the people of Israel served the Lord. Now notice this. All the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. But then rises up this generation. Right behind them. Who totally leaves it. One generation away. An entire nation who is following and serving God in one generation leaves, begins to walk away, and we wonder why He sent the judges. This is the whole reason why. If you continue reading chapter 2, you begin to see, and this is why. You kind of get a preview of the whole book. And this is why God was in the judges, and the judges would save Israel through God's power, and they would begin to serve God, and then they just slowly walk away, walk away, walk away. David, if you would. And it's, it's, it's this vicious cycle. It starts with sin. Compromise. Then they would become enslaved to the people. Then what would happen is they would turn back to God in supplication, asking for forgiveness. God would save them. And then after the, sa- the saving... When things calmed down, they forgot what God had done. And they went right back into the cycle again. How easy we forget. How easy we forget. Why do we tend to remember the bad and we forget the good? Anybody else in here a pessimist? Okay, I try to be optimistic, but I'm a worrier. I'm the skydiving banana. That is me. All the time. And I'm allergic to bananas. Figure that one out. All right? But that is me. I'm worrying. 
Everything feels like that, that it's just rushing and being poured on and poured on and poured on and poured on. And sometimes Shauna has to stop me and say, you need to stop and look around. Quit being grumpy. You need to look around at everything that is good around you. Well, that's what they'd stop doing and they'd stop looking at the good of what God had done. And they went further and further and further into the cycle. There's two problems going on in verse 10. And we hit them earlier and I want, I want to just look at them a little bit more in depth right now, just really fast. Number one, they aren't acknowledging God for who He is. They did not know the Lord. Is anybody in here, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'll give you a piece of candy later if you got it. Anybody know Proverbs 3.6? Who's got it? And all your ways acknowledge Him. Can you eat Laffy Taffy? <laughs> or you can give it out of Halloween or finding kids you give to you. Jack, get her some, get her some Laffy Taffy when we're done. Or those sour punch straws, either one. We got big pixie sticks back there too. You're all going to be like, no, wait a minute, they got, I'll you get Ron to make her some cotton candy. I don't know. Anyways, but that's it. Acknowledge. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. They stopped acknowledging God. Why are we so afraid to do that? Why do, why do we as people get so afraid to acknowledge God? Why? I don't know, because God does some awesome stuff. Imagine if you're that generation. I'm going to walk around. Imagine if you're the generation who saw Jericho fall, and this is what you did to make the walls of Jericho fall. This is what they did. They didn't throw a spear, and didn't shoot an arrow, and didn't hurl a rock with a slingshot. They did this. They walked. You're that generation. You're the generation 41 and over, okay? You're that generation who saw this. You know how we beat Jericho, son? We walked around it. But for some reason, Russell, that was lost. Because there was a generation who forgot how to acknowledge the Lord because they weren't taught. There's two sides to this. Number one, they had stopped seeing what God had done. Number two, the, pro- the, the problem is, is that they weren't taught. Now, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find what God had given Israel to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is one of those things that, for, for me, uh, when I go to my Bible study program, the entire chapter is highlighted with underlying things on the little program I use on my computer. This is a great, this is a great chapter in the Bible. Something that we should really all know. It's important. 6.1 says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it. Now notice when Moses is giving this to the people, the intention of this is for when, is in that moment, but it's especially when they get to the promised land. You see what they've missed out in Judges chapter 2? They have been taught over and over again what to do. When you get there, do this. When you get there, I want you to do this. When you get there, I want you to do this. So here's what he says. 
that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I am going to command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. They may go well with you that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you into a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a really good introduction. Then God, through Moses, makes a very, very, very simple command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command today shall be on your heart. First for you. And then second. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. And on your Gates. You know what happens when we start to talk about God and His Word and what it does in our lives? People start to watch what we do. And when they watch what we do, we become self-conscious of that. And when we become self-conscious of that, we begin to realize that we have to live up to it. And especially in front of our children. And, I, and I'll put it this, because I've watched it with my boys and my dad. We have to do it in front of our grandchildren. Because kids watch. They want to know if you're really going to follow through with what you say. They want to know if it's for sure. I joked earlier that Ethan has broken his arm. You know what he's already asking to do? Is to get back on a skateboard, go off of his ramps, and go down his rail that he has. And we keep having to tell him, no. You can get on the one that you just cruise on, that's fine. But jumping and ramping and all this stuff, no. You don't want you to have another broken arm or make it worse because it's not quite broke all the way through yet. I don't know if he's determined to finish the job. I'm not sure. But he wants to get back on that skateboard. And we keep saying, no, no. And he's pushing. I love my son. I do. He's my buddy. But he's pushing. He's pushing my buttons. One of the last things he said before he went to bed last night, you know what it was? Hey, Dad, do you think I could skateboard tomorrow? I didn't even answer him. I said, go to sleep. And what's worse is he was wanting to watch a movie, so he's watching like a Christian skateboarding video with all these guys that are Christians and they're giving their testimonies and they're riding skateboards. And it dawns on me just now, that probably is just making it worse. Let's go find some VeggieTales DVDs, Shauna, and just put them on and he'll just be like, Dad, can I have some salad? You know, maybe that's maybe that's where we'll go. But, but we wonder. We always want what's worst. And he's pushing to see if we really mean two weeks till you go back to the doctor and they x-ray it again. He's wanting to see. How many of you have ever disciplined your kids and they didn't think that you were going to follow through on the grounding? Anybody ever have that? Yeah, you'll, you'll give in. Two days, I'll annoy you enough. I now know why my father had a lock on his bedroom door. And so when I, whenever I got in trouble and he took stuff away from me, so he could go in there, lock the door, turn up the TV and not hear me walking around the house going, Oh, I'm bored. Oh. That's why. 
And that guy would not budge. It's like a boulder. So you weren't going to convince him just to give in. Weren't. I don't know why. I don't know why Israel tested God in this because they were given what to do. They were given what to do. And in fact, the Levites were given, I'm not going to turn all the way there, but the Levites were actually given special instructions themselves. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11. Let me read this to you really fast. It says this, You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Verse 10, it said, you are, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. He had given instructions to the Levites to follow through. The parents had been given instructions to follow through and to bring up the children. And for some reason, it didn't happen. They were left empty. Now, do we blame the parents? Or do we blame the people? Or do we blame them all. Because the reason we're in the mess we're in is because we got ourselves into the mess a lot of the time. Sometimes somebody might cause something that happens and it, and it drags into our life. That's true. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about those circumstances that we sometimes find ourselves in that we want to say is someone else's fault. No. It's everyone's. And in Israel, they found themselves in a position where they were in a land that they were supposed to be solely living in by moving the inhabitants of the land out. And they didn't follow through. It was compromise. It was a lack of faith. Let's just call it what it was. They disobeyed God. And that's a three-letter word. It means missing the mark. It is sin. But God in His greatness and goodness forgave them. That's what He did. David, if you would. So... When people lose sight of God's grace, they lose sight of God and they lose sense of their obligation to Him. Let's put that on us. Go, if you would, David. When we lose sight of God's grace, when we forget everything that God has done for us that we don't deserve, by the way, which is everything that God does, we lose sight of God because His grace is really who He is. It's how His, that's how He expresses Himself to us. We lose sight of God in the sense of any obligation to Him. If you ever wonder why you feel drawn away from God, why you don't feel closest to Him, it's because you've allowed yourself to get that way. Nobody forced Israel. Nobody told them, you will keep these people here. They stopped believing. And they allowed it to happen. David. Why did God allow this to happen? Well, he allowed it to continue to happen for one reason. Like many situations in our lives, He allowed it to happen to grow their faith. I want to read a quote to you out of one of the commentaries that I read. This is out of the New American Commentary. David, I, I put some of it on the screen. It says this, There are times when God leaves things unresolved in our lives, a job rejection we did not expect, a conflict with a Christian who refuses to be reconciled with us, a situation in our church that we are not entirely happy with or a heartache in the family. God would not always keep our lives neat and tidy. He will do things we do not expect and take us into situations we may find difficult so that we depend on Him and grow in our faith. This was what the Apostle Paul's experience was. 
On three occasions he asked the Lord to remove a thorn in his flesh, but the Lord spoke to him and said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God knew Israel was weak. He knew it. He had no no illusion that they weren't. He knew how weak they were. He knew how weak they were while they were wandering in the wilderness. By the way, he knew how weak they were while they were in Egypt. Because he saw them begin to be drawn away to those gods. If you don't remember, while they're wandering in the wilderness, they begin to grumble against God and Moses say, let's just go back to Egypt and worship those gods. He knew. He knows how weak we are. That's what's so inexplainable about it. I don't know why this morning I'm so enamored with why God loves us so much because I can't explain it to you. I just know it works. There are some things I, I know that it works. I can't explain it. Our, our microwave broke. By the way, you don't try to repair a microwave. You call somebody. They, those things hold a charge in them. I'm like reading all these things. Oh, microwave. Maybe it's just a little thing I can just replace on it. Do not attempt to repair your microwave. Oh, I'll go to the next. GE, do not attempt to repair your microwave. Call a technician. I just know yesterday Shauna calls and says, um, the microwave is not heating things up. Now, I'm not going to say whose fault it was, but it involved somebody with a broken arm who heated up a hot pocket who had the last heated thing out of that microwave. Other than that, it hasn't worked since yesterday afternoon. We don't know. I just know that a microwave is supposed to. When you hit popcorn, it cooks the bag of popcorn. How it knows when to stop, I don't know, but it does. It's engineers. Okay, thank you. You get my popcorn to pop every time, except when the microwave breaks. I don't understand why God's grace works the way it does. I don't know why God has chosen to love us the way He does, knowing our weakness our propensity to sin. But He does. It's just how He is. And that's what's so amazing about Him. It's what's so amazing about His grace. That's why we sing that song, Amazing Grace. Because we can't explain it. We can't explain the why. We just know the how. We just know He he does. We can't explain why He does it. He just does. He loves us. And that's what he did for Israel. David, if you would, let's go. We're going to conclude here. The big picture, what do we do now? How do we keep this from happening? Well, number one, if you find yourself in that state where you've withdrawn yourself like Israel did from God, it's simple. It's just this right here. You return to him. David, if you would, next slide. To break the cycle of sin, we turn back to God through Jesus Christ. And sometimes as believers, we find ourselves slipping backwards. I won't use the word backsliding because that's a free will Baptist term. I'm not going to do that. But we do. That that old man that is supposed to be put to death starts to zombify a little bit and come back from the dead and tries to worm his way back into our lives. There's a one of the guys who, who taught one of our youth group small groups. His name was Jack Murray. This is me growing up as a kid. And Jack Murray when he was in his 20s, just right out of the military, had got in just a normal, honorable discharge, was rough around the edges, he wasn't a believer, got into a bar fight and killed a man. He was charged with second-degree murder. He served his time, 
became a believer in prison and was paroled. Jack would, and you're thinking, he taught youth group? Yeah, we were scared of him. Um, taught mostly, mostly us boys. Um, but Jack would sing. And every once in a while they'd have him, you know, just sing by himself before, like, I remember especially on Sunday night services. And he sang country western type stuff. And he used to sing this song, The Old Man is Dead. That old man is meant to be put to death in our life. That old sinful man. But every once in a while he tries to come back from the dead. And we gotta remind him that he's dead. And we have a new life in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. And it's right there. We know that grace is, is, is there for us and we just have to resolve not to sin anymore and trust God knowing that we can't do it on our own and to follow after Him. Because we won't make it on our own. Willpower doesn't even work for will. It doesn't. When it comes to sin. We have to trust in Him to help us do it. The second thing is what we can do as a church. Now this is for us in the Old Testament. And hopefully this slide shows up. It's small. I had to shrink it to make it look the right way. We have to understand our role. In the Old Testament, they had the priests, they had the nation, and then God called upon the parents to do things. And so I want to encourage you, number one, if, you, if you're a teacher of children, or if you have a desire to do so, take it seriously to teach children God's grace. Continue to do it. If, if you're, and, and really I wish the ones that were in the back right now could hear this, and hopefully they'll hear this is in some way, somehow. They need our encouragement. So hug one of those teachers today and they'll be like, what are you doing? No. Um, tell them thank you. Parents, we, we need to tell them all thank you for the ones who work so hard with our kids to teach them. Okay. We need to tell our pastor thank you. I sent him a picture today that I saw a friend of mine post the other day and it said sermon and it was like the top of an iceberg which looked like about two inches. And then the scene that looked like 14 inches underneath was the rest of the iceberg and it said the preparation. Because I'm, I'm here every week and I know how much time he spends in there. Okay. If you've ever seen his notes at the beginning of the week, which he'll print off, and then you see his notes by the end. Mine, mine are clean. His are scripted all over with arrows and going next page, come back and all this stuff. Okay. We need to tell them thank you and encourage them. Because they need to teach God's grace. Church, we need to make sure in front of younger generations that we are celebrating God's grace. That they don't hear us grumbling and complaining about whether or not we like the songs. Now, I'll take song suggestions. Don't worry about that. Oh, grumbling and complaining about everything from the color of the carpet to all these other stuff. They need to, when we come together as a church, we need to be celebrating God's grace, God's goodness. And we need to be testifying to that. In fact, during the second hour today, we're going to do it a little bit different. I, I need five or six people, adults, who would be willing to testify to the one thing you know undoubtedly that God has done that you've seen Him do. Whether it's an answered prayer or just something you saw God do and you know it because youth group's going to sit in here on second hour and hear that before we go have a work day. So church, you get to put it into action during second hour. It's going to be fun. Number three, parents. We have to model it. Jack, I'm talking to myself. And Jack Smith, I'm talking to myself. Everybody named Jack, I'll just address you all. Parents, we've got to be able to acknowledge and explain God's grace. The number one influence in a child's life. It's not a teacher. It's not their friends. 
It's not their pastor. It's not their youth pastor. It is their parent or guardian who's with them on a daily basis. That's a high responsibility, Amanda. That's why Deuteronomy chapter 6 scares me. Especially when you look at it in light of Judges chapter 2. It really scares me because I want to make sure that my children aren't the kind of children who grow up not acknowledging God or knowing about Him. I've got to make sure I, I do my part. In church, we've, we've got to do our best to encourage parents in that way. Because it's a big task. We've all got to take this on and not be afraid to talk about those things that He has done. I want to share what mine is. My, uh, and I'll say former stepmother, because my dad and her have since gotten a divorce, uh, about eight or nine years ago, I, my stepmother at the time, Brenda, was going to have to have an open heart surgery. She was a little bitty lady. She wasn't the kind of person you would think would have blockages. She was really healthy. But she had what they called two major blockages in her heart. And my dad was like, y'all really need to be praying. You just really need to be praying. You really need to be praying. And they'd, they went to the Methodist church and their, their Sunday school class was praying and all sorts of people were praying for her. She goes in and sees a scan. The doctor's like, blockages. Yep, we'll do that. And they set up the appointment. So the day she goes to have her surgery, my dad calls me on the phone. And it's, and it's like an hour into it. And I'm worried. I mean, Daryl, I'm kind of freaked out because I'm thinking an hour in, something has happened. And he goes, Brenda's not having the surgery today. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, in fact, she's not having the surgery at all. Well, well, what happened, Dad? He goes, well, they went in and they did another dye test because they got to make sure before they go in there to do this surgery that morning, they have to be 100% sure that morning, so they always run a last-minute dye test. The same doctor, same technician from the heart hospital are both looking at it, and they could not believe it was the same heart they were looking at. Completely clear. No hint of blockages. And it was in that moment, it was in that moment I knew in my heart that, that God was saying, I did that. I did that. Undoubtable answered prayer. And of all the things, when I remember what God can do, I remember that. For I don't know what the reason is, because that's one of those things that's unexplainable. And the doctor even said to my dad, he goes, I don't know if you're a man of faith, but you should be. Because that's the only way we can explain what happened. Our God is a good God who cares about us, who loves us. We need to share it with everyone we're around, and we need to make sure we're sharing it with younger generations. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for how it guides our life. What I pray today, if there's anybody here who has never fully trusted in You, that above all things that they would take home today, that they would take home that You are a God who loves them enough to send Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for them. Lord, I pray that that message, the gospel message, would never be far from our lips, that we would be ready to talk about our Jesus who saved us. Lord, as we go out throughout the rest of our day, Lord, we ask for Your guidance, Your your Holy Spirit's leading. Lord, we ask for Your protection. Lord, we again remember those who are in harm's way today. We remember those who are traveling. Lord, we just pray for their safety. Lord, I just today I'm, I'm especially thankful for some of our police officers and our firemen locally who serve us. 
Thankful for their commitment, the sacrifices that they make, and their willingness to put their lives on the line on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for that. But more than that, Lord, we thank you today for your Son, Jesus Christ. For not like a human would save a life, He saved our eternal souls, showing your love to us. And it's in His name we pray and celebrate today. Amen.